0: Hello, Internet. I'm Stephen Herowitz, and I'll be your host for this episode of Campfire at Home, recorded here in St. Louis, Missouri. Almost every month, we gather at the campfire to hear stories about life and how we live it. Campfire at Home is how we bring that live storytelling experience to you, wherever you are. In this particular episode, I have something special for you, because we have stories to share from the capstone event of our Season 10 Advanced Storytelling class these students signed up for a class through campfire to learn about public speaking and storytelling. That first class, the students are always nervous, excited, and looking around not knowing who each other are yet, but then they slowly get to know one another as they collectively reflect on their lives through story. They started to see the output of their training and the power and liberation of owning and sharing their own story. And even when it got scary, or their nerves crept up, as it inevitably does, they kept choosing to take on the challenge. And then there they were, on stage, in the lights, delivering some truly delightful and some truly heavy stories. All in all, their advanced storytelling training went over six classes with some additional time for individual coaching. This series of podcasts includes the four advanced storytelling students Gabe, Javier, Jamar, Potter, all telling a short story on the topic of quitting. And then beyond the hugs and smiles each storyteller got after the event, I got to say as their instructor a heartfelt congratulations to four people with newfound skills in storytelling, confidence in their voice when speaking publicly, and an understanding of the power of story. Let's head to the campfire to listen to Jamar's story on quitting.
1: Ooh, have to pee really bad right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just information. I started to run off the stage like Javier, but here I am, hoping I don't pee my pants. Um, okay. On a bright April morning, the sun shined through my very old, beat-up Rav Four black Jeep. Ow! Yes. <laughs> as I drove 25 minutes to Mercy Hospital. Now, I'm not from St. Louis, but 25 minutes seems like a ride that's five minutes too long. When anyone ever asks me from out of town how to get anywhere from St. Louis, I always say 20 minutes. And that might just be my ignorance for not being here, but it always just seems like it takes 20 minutes to get everywhere, at least, or at the most. So I drive. And I finally arrive, and I finally find parking because it's jam-packed that day. And I park my vehicle, and I hear a call from a valet. Now, why does a hospital need a valet parking? I don't know, but they do. So the valet tells me I can't park where I parked. So I walk over to the valet, and I hand him my keys. But before I do that, I have to wait because there's a line. So I wait, I wait, and I hand them my keys. Then I enter the doctor's office, which is more like an emergency room slash doctor's office. It's very busy, lots of people there. So I'm now in the waiting room where I wait. So I wait, I wait some more, and I go finally to the person Who handles the billing and they tell me I have a $37 bill so I pay my $37 and I go to another waiting room where I wait I wait and I wait some more and then finally a nurse comes and she gives me a plastic cup and a white bag I was feeling throughout this experience not one of fear because I wasn't there for a life altering or life-changing thing, but more of a, you know, not a life-altering not, not life thing, but a life-changing thing. Um, so she directs me to the bathroom. So I take a step in the bathroom, and my foot makes the suction cuppy sound in my Nikes. So my foot, when I first step in, makes a sound. So I'm like, oh, wow, these floors are kind of sticky. So I take a second step in, my... Sneakers make the same sort of sound. Um, so if you haven't guessed what I was here for, I was there for a sperm sample. So. <laughs> yes. So I enter this bathroom, but when I think of bathrooms that I would masturbate in, I always think of sitcoms. <laughs> so I think of, like, porno magazines with blonde-haired women or really fake boobs from like the 90s, maybe a plush couch, maybe a nice TV, uh, maybe some oil or some Vaseline or something. This bathroom didn't have any of that shit. (laughs) There was a sink, a toilet, maybe a mirror, and these sticky-ass floors. (laughs) So now, since it's April and I have a jacket on, I have to figure out what do I do with my jacket. (laughs) So how do you know how to dress for masturbating in the bathroom in April? (laughs) If it was a test, I would have failed it. (laughs) So now I figure out what to do with my jacket, then I have this video to worry about, then I have the headphones, and then I have my penis to worry about. (laughs) And it's just all this multitasking that's going on. I have to worry about somebody barging in this Grammy-ass bathroom that I'm in. And I don't know if this experience was terrible, trifling, or terrific, but the experience began with the Uh. So finally, I exit the bathroom, and it feels like I was in a fight. I don't know if I won this fight or lost this fight, but this fight definitely happened. So I drop my sperm sample off at the counter, that's something you won't really hear that often, right? (laughs) And I leave. So a few weeks later my wife sends me a text saying that she has some information for me. So I go home and my beautiful, brown, brilliant wife, as you can tell I like alliteration, is on the bed and she's in her white robe and she says she has to tell me something. So she has all these numbers scribbled on the paper. And it turned out that I have a low sperm count. The words hit me like a sucker punch to the gut because we walk around, or I, I'll use the I statement because they teach those things now. (laughs) I walk around with masculinity is probably in some ways toxic, as quote unquote woke as I can be in some spaces. Um, And it hurt. It hurt. And my wife was kind of stoic when she said it. And I did what most woke, grown, adult, mature men do when they're faced with something they know how to handle. I didn't tell a fucking soul.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: right. I told no one. And the reason why my wife was so stoic is because she's been through this process herself. She's been poked, prodded by doctors. She's been through her own experiences when it comes to the medical field. So really turning to her with my fucking fragile issues would be kind of minuscule. Um, And she's also been through surgeries when it comes to the whole thing. Um, And I was there every step of the way And I didn't really know how to help myself in this instance, but I was really good at being there for her, in my own opinion anyway. Um, But now that I needed the same sort of assistance or guidance, I really didn't know how to ask for it. Um, And we would go through all of these doctor's visits, and we had this one great young doctor who did her surgery. And um, he had about six kids, he was very Catholic. Um, that wasn't a joke but I'm glad y'all laughed huh? <laughs> he was um, and he would break out these graphs and these charts of the uterus and all of these things and these terminologies and I realized in those instances I had no fucking clue about the woman's body I really should have paid a lot more attention in biology or maybe I should have took sex ed like I should have at a, in high school, but I didn't take that. Um, and it was like he was explaining calculus to someone who hadn't yet passed Algebra one. <laughs> so now eventually we would have to go to the doctors for me. So we'd have to go to the men's doctor. So eventually we schedule that appointment and he tells me why I have a low sperm count. Um, and he steps into the room and I'm the type of person who judges people by their outfits. He had on Dr. Scrubs and loafers. Now, I went through a phase when I was in high school where all I did was wear Dr. Scrubs, and they're pretty fucking comfortable. And, but Dr. Scrubs and loafers just seemed not the match to me. So it just seemed like he was a swarmy character to begin with. So he sat down. And he started pushing his fucking Viagra. He's pushing his Viagra. He's pushing it. He's pushing it. He's like the annoying weed dealer at a gas station. (laughs) Like, just fucking leave me alone. I don't want your shitty Viagra. Just tell me what I came here for. So basically, he tells me basic things I could have learned, or we could have learned from just going to Google. So we leave. And now we go into an interrogation room By two women who are kind of talking to us with the calmness and the sternness and the I know I'm wrong in my profession and what I do, but I have kids to feed sort of way. (laughs) And there's like boxes in this room, and it just feels like some like New York undercover or like some type of like NYPD like interrogation room. And they tell us what the fee will be for this visit, which is three (laughs) hundred dollars. So we pay it $300, and we walk out in the parking lot. And in that moment, I feel kind of broken. And I feel like quitting, and I feel like giving up from having children. And then my wife, as busy as she is, she has a meeting to go to. So I'm left to deal with this, like most mature adult men deal with these sort of things, right? Didn't tell a fucking soul. <laughs> so now I'm on my way, and I'm driving home, and I'm just kind of sitting with it. And like I said, I kind of feel broken and I feel like quitting. Um, And then, you know, over the course of time, your friends have kids and 10 of your friends literally have kids from your closest friends to relatives, the people you know who don't want kids and you know they don't want kids, and the people who have 10 kids already literally who have kids. And some of those people cry with you when they have kids and you feel bad that they cry for you because they know that you've been trying to have kids for three years and then, you know, you turn 40 one day. And then, you know, over the course of time, your parents and people who are not even close to you will ask you, well, why don't you have kids? Or why can't you have kids? Or why don't you have kids? And you really want to tell them to mind their fucking businesses or business, but you really can't do that. It's not the right thing to do, right? So sometimes you just don't answer. So over the course of time, you know, we kind of think of things in different ways, right? So, you kind of want to feel for the, be happy for your friends when they tell you that they're having kids, because it's a blessing to have children. But you also kind of think about yourself in those instances, and you think about your own lineage and your own future and your own ways in the world. And my wife and I mentor lots of kids in the city, Probably over, probably over hundreds between the both of us. We've taken on a niece, we've taken on a nephew into our home whose father passed away less than a year ago. And maybe all of these things are enough. Then maybe none of them are. But maybe, just maybe, we can eventually grow to be okay with the shit that we just can't control. Thank you.
0: And that's a wrap. You can make sure to hear the other episodes from our Season 10 Advanced Storytelling graduates by subscribing to Campfire at Home, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a review. It helps others find our podcast and it supports our students. If you're in the St. Louis area, we'd love to have you come out to an event or take a class. Visit campfire.com, that's cmpfr.com for all of the details. And for those of you that don't live in St. Louis, who just want to know more about what we do here at Campfire, you can also visit our website at campfire.com. That's cmpfr.com. As always, a big thank you to the Campfire team, our photographer Jen Corman, our videographer and podcast producer Jeff Allen, and the home for our classes, Tech Artista. Tonight's stories were recorded live at the Focal Point in Maplewood, Missouri. Thanks for listening to Campfire at Home. I've been your host, Stephen Harowitz. Until next time.